Amen. Good morning. Would you all pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for bringing us here again to to pray your word and to hear your word, to believe your word, to preach it, to eat it, to drink it, to apply it. God, we want to hear from you this morning. And so we ask you again, would you draw near to us and would you be our teacher today? And God, would you forbid two things this morning? Would you forbid that this sermon would be preached in the flesh? And would you forbid that this sermon would be heard in the flesh? I don't have the power to preach it and my brothers and sisters don't have the power to hear it aright. And so would you come and would you be for us all that we need this morning? We ask it in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Before, uh, before we dig in, a couple of housekeeping um, announcements. There is, uh, um, there is a constitution, a copy of our constitution printed in the back. Um, there's only 10 copies. So if you're not interested, feel free to like thumb through, see what's there and then leave it. But if you are interested and want to take it home and pray over it, uh, feel free to grab one. Uh, We need to address some of the things in our constitution. And so we'll have a family meeting in a couple months to to talk about those and to vote on them. So constitutional amendments in the back. Second uh, order of housekeeping is um, I got an invitation to go back to Ethiopia to teach with Training Leaders International. And so that trip is going to be in June. Um, and so I'll be, gone for, um, I'll be gone for two Sundays. If you would like to, uh, to give to that trip, participate in it, feel free to, to give and just uh, designate it to the um, Ethiopia trip, whatever. But no pressure, okay? Just, a, just an opportunity to give. Um, okay, so really struggling with how to introduce this text to you. And so I don't have a great story or a great attention grabber other than to say that I think one of the hardest things for us to get and for God to teach us, right? One of the hardest things for us to grasp in the Christian faith and for God to help us grasp is that he is really all that we need. Like in Christ, he has made us completely sufficient for anything that he would call us to. There's nothing else that we need. Nothing else that we need. So pause and ask. What would you add to Christ to complete what's lacking? If you have Christ, you have everything. Well, this text helps us to see that um, in that God is responding to Abram when Abram didn't believe that. When he didn't believe that the promises of God and the power of God in his life were enough. He had to scheme and and dream and come up with a plan to attain those things that God promised to give him by grace through faith. And so in chapter 15, you remember he believed in the Lord, the promise of of offspring. And that belief, that, that taking God at his word was counted to him for righteousness. So he has right standing before God. And all he has to do is trust and wait and watch. But instead, he gets antsy. Well, maybe I need to go do something to get that offspring. And so he takes a second wife. Uh, gentleman, always a bad idea. Okay. Uh, and they have Ishmael. And so this text happens 13 years after 
um, after that debacle with, um, with Hagar and with Ishmael. So in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 17, there's four basic movements to the, whole, uh, to the whole of the chapter. And I'll give them to you if you want to write these down. No, no worries if not. But in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8, you just have a, a re... Um, you have the covenant, a redescription of what God is intending to do through Abram. And then in verse 9 through 14, you have this, uh, you have a command that God is adding something to the covenant. He's, it, it looks as though he's changing the rules. He's not, but it looks like he is. So he gives a command, and it's the command to be circumcised. We'll look at it. In uh, verses 15 through 22, you have a promise, a new, a new aspect of the covenant promise that God is going to give. And then in 23 through the end, you have Abram obeying and doing what God told him to do. We're going to focus most of our attention today on the command to be circumcised because I think we ought to, um, it, it bears consideration. And so that's where we're going to be today. So look with me in, in verse 9. And let's watch what God does again to what he says to a man who has believed him as far as I'm going to get something great from God. But then he tries to go accomplish it by his own flesh, by his own doing. God is going to give him something to carry out in his flesh. In verse nine, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. If you want a detailed description of what circumcision is, this is not the sermon for you. You can feel free to go home and look it up. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign. If you write in your Bibles, circle that word sign. It's very significant. It shall be, this, this circumcision shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Who shall receive this sign? Well, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he, and he repeats it, both he who is born in your house and bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. And so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, um, when you read that, you get the sense that this is not a light and momentary thing. That this is not something that's going to be here today and gone. He's using words like, throughout your generations everlasting covenant. Um, anyone who doesn't keep it shall be cut off. Okay? So, the first question we need to ask, is this something we need to keep? Okay? Is this something, it sounds like it's an eternal thing. So, are we supposed to be doing this? Well, let me, um, let me consider this text in a couple of different ways. First, is just a categorical help to us in terms of how we interpret the law in the Old Testament. How do we, how do we, Look at commands in the Old Testament and interpret them. Okay? There's a mistake that's commonly made, which is you go straight from the law directly to personal application. It says to be circumcised. Guess what? Let's go be circumcised if you're a dude and you're not already. That would be a mistake. 
Some people, uh, another way to mistake, uh, mistakenly read the law is we go from law to general principle. We just kind of extract, well, maybe God is just saying something like this and then we apply it. So in this text, it would be something like God wants an external uh, sign of the, of the invisible covenant. He wants it in our flesh. And so we're not going to be circumcised, but what we're going to do is we're going to go out and we're all going to get Jesus tattooed on our forehead. It'll be in our flesh. Everybody can see we belong to Jesus. Okay, bad idea. That's not the way we're supposed to read the law. So how are we supposed to read the law? Well, first of all, we're to read it and to go straight to what is the aspect of God's character that's being revealed in this commandment? What is God showing us about himself? Secondly, how has Christ fulfilled this law? Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. What did he come to do? To fulfill it, to complete it. So that there's, uh, it's, it's been fulfilled. It's a standard that's been met. So we go from law to God's character to the fulfillment of Christ and then to a particular application. So this is not something for, uh, based upon New Testament um, interpretation of these texts. This is not something that is required in the New Testament church um, because Christ has fulfilled it on our behalf. He's fulfilled every obligation of the law so that we're no longer under the law. Um, we, we belong to Christ and are free to obey him. Okay, so just hermeneutical categories. Hopefully that'll be helpful to you. Second is I just want to consider, right? I told you in verse 11 to circle the word sign. Read this with me again in verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. Okay, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant. This word for sign, I wrote down all the synonyms. It can be rendered pledge, omen, symbol, uh, miracle, memorial. And I already said pledge. So it's not just a sign like this is just something that reminds you of something or it's something that indicates something else. It can be interpreted as, as um, miracle, as omen. Right? There's, there's something, this is, a, this is a word that is pregnant with meaning. And so why did God demand of his followers to do this odd thing? Why? Well, a couple things that uh, I, want, I want you to think about, think about. First of all, I think that part of what this is doing is it's winnowing the world down to Christ. Let me explain what I mean there. In the very beginning when man fell, man received, well, Satan received a promise of defeat. And man in that received a promise of deliverer. God told Satan, I will put war between, your seed, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he talked about a man that would come and crush Satan's head. And so from that point forward, we've been asking, who is the serpent crusher? Who is it? Adam and Eve come together and Cain is born. I've begotten a man from the help of the Lord. We say, well, it's Cain. Cain is the serpent crusher. And then Cain kills his brother. Okay, it can't be Cain. And it can't be Abel, even though he offered a good sacrifice. So it's not Cain, it's not Abel. Well, Seth is born. Maybe it's Seth, but it's not Seth. Maybe it's Noah. Noah uh, delivers the world. He, he, he maintains the life of the world and the animals and, he's, and he sacrifices. God gives a covenant. It's got to be Noah. Then Noah gets drunk and shames himself. Okay, it's not Noah. Noah's got three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It's not going to be Japheth. It's not going to be Ham. It's going to be Shem. 
It's not Shem. We come down to Abraham and we think maybe it's Abraham. It's not Abraham. He keeps failing. Abraham has a son. It's Ishmael. It's got to be. No, it's not Ishmael. It's Isaac. Isaac has two sons. Who is it going to be? Jacob or, um, or Esau? It's not going to be Esau. It's going to be Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Who's it going to be? It's not going to be Reuben, Simeon, Levi. It's not going to be Gad, Asher, Naphtali. It's not going to be uh, Benjamin. It's not going to be Dan. It's not going to be Joseph. It's going to be Judah. And of Judah, it's going to be David. And of David, it's going to be Solomon. And it's going to come all the way down to this man named Jesus of Nazareth who was born to Joseph and Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so what God is doing here is this serves as a, a winnowing down of all of, the, of, of all of mankind down to one single solitary man who came to save everybody. So circumcision is this marking out of the people of God so that we can understand when the Savior comes, we'll recognize him. So listen to me. Jesus Christ was the last man that had to be circumcised. It's pretty amazing. Jesus is the serpent crusher, the serpent crusher, and he kept the covenant of God in his flesh, and we in Christ have kept it as well. So it's a winnowing down. Secondly, it's a sign. It's to signify something. Now listen, I'm not going to fight anybody over this, but I'm convinced this is true. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to give you a um, a minority interpretation of this. Okay, and it'll be interesting anyway, whether or not you believe me. I believe that when man was created in God's image, I believe that he fell, he sinned, rebelled against God on the first Sabbath. I don't believe that there was aeons of life with him and Eve walking with the Lord and enjoying, you know, all the blessings of God. And then they fell aeons later. I think they fell on the very first day they were supposed to be resting. That's when they took the fruit. Which would mean that when God comes and he pronounces judgment and mercy, promises mercy and judgment, when there's a substitute that dies, uh, that we're talking about life on the eighth day. And so interestingly enough, if you remember the fall, what, what's the consequence of the fall? The consequence of Adam trying to grab something prematurely that God was going to give him anyway. Did you ever think about that? The knowledge of good and evil, does God really not want his people to know that? The difference between good and evil? Of course he does. Just not in that time, not in that way. Just be patient and wait and I'll give it to you eventually. And Adam and Eve rebelled, much like Abram here. And so when they rebelled, they were expelled from the garden. And can you tell me what happened to bar their way from the garden? There's two trees, right? One is the tree of life. And we're told that a cherub was put in there with a flaming sword that cuts in every direction. Do you know what circumcision means? It means to cut around in every direction. And so I think that circumcision is another, is a, it signifies that this is another fall. This is another time where a, a man should have trusted the Lord and waited and instead by his flesh tried to take it. And so they lost something. So circumcision um, being cut off from the tree of life uh, signifies what it seals. In the same way baptism does that for us, it signifies what it seals. Buried in the waters of judgment and death, raised to life and newness in Christ, circumcision does the very same thing. It images man being severed from the tree of life due to sin. And this, brothers and sisters, is why we no longer do it. Are you, in, who are in Christ, are you severed from the tree of life? 
No, you're not. You will live forever. This, in this hope we are saved in Christ. This is why we no longer circumcise, because in Christ all that Adam has lost for us has been restored to us in Christ and is being restored to us in Christ. Now, another, uh, another thing that this uh, signifies, um, Trey pointed this out, and I thought it was worth uh, mentioning and thinking about with you. This is supposed to be a, a, a sign in our flesh of the, of the covenant that we have with God that nobody could see. Abraham believes in God and is justified, and nobody could look at him and say, oh, you're different now. Nobody could. So God gives him this sign that's in, our, in his flesh, but if all goes to plan, nobody should see this but his wife, right? I mean, he's going to have stories to tell if there's some instance where the world sees that he has received circumcision. Isn't it interesting that the seal of the covenant that was invisible, uh, uh, the seal of the invisible covenant uh, is given and it's a largely invisible seal. Nobody could see this about Abram, which I, I think, again, is a picture of what circumcision really is supposed to signify. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse six. Moses says in the law, Remember, speaking to to circumcised people, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise not the foreskin of your flesh, but he will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, listen to this, the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your kids so that you will, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. The greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do you know what? You cannot do that unless God circumcises your heart, does something that you cannot do yourself. Really fascinating. This, this, uh, this week, as I'm studying this text, it, um, it, it seemed as though God is just orchestrating the cosmos for my good because I'm pondering these things. And in this week, when I'm thinking about these things, there's a guy named, do you guys know Dennis Prager? Anybody ever heard of this man? He's a Jewish uh, political conservative. Um, he's, he's really, really sharp. He's a, he's a believing Jew, meaning he really believes that God is there. He really believes that God has spoken in his word, but he's not acknowledged Christ. Okay, so he, he's a Jewish man that, that believes the Old Testament. He's conservative. He's really sharp. And he said something that caused Christians everywhere To lose their mind. Here's what he said. I'm going to do the best I can to quote him. He said, for a man, if if a man uses pornography to replace his wife, pornography is evil. But if a man uses pornography to replace the act of adultery, it's okay. It's not sinful. So as long as he just sins in his mind and with his emotions... And not physically with another woman, he, he really hasn't sinned. Christians started, just lost it, right? I can't believe he's saying that. He's given, he's given a, um, you know, permission. Well, he's wrong. Listen to me. He's very, very, very wrong. But let me ask you something. If I said that to you, what chapter and verse, and who would you quote? Who would you go to to quote to say, no, that's not right? You would say, no, that's not right. Why? What, tell me a chapter and verse about adultery and how it's not just the physical act. I think somebody somewhere said, 
you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent is guilty of adultery in his heart. Who said that? Jesus, right? So it's amazing. Here we're looking at this fleshly external sign of circumcision that's really pointing to something that's necessary that God would do internal inside us through his Holy Spirit. And I get this, um, this picture in our day, in our time where a Jewish man is all caught up with just the act of, of adultery because he is renounced, he's denied Christ. And so he hasn't heard what every Christian knows. That it's not just the act. There's something that's really important about what's going on in your heart and in your mind before the Lord. Okay? And so it's, it's, uh, it's not accidental that this man who has denied his Messiah but endeavored to keep the law in his flesh has failed before he ever began. If, if we come to this or if Abram comes to this and says, well, circumcision is there. And so I guess this is like the only thing I've got to do. I've just got to be circumcised and keep the law. Um, that's, that's all that God requires. Uh, he would be mistaken, as would we. This is, uh, this is imaged in circumcision. A sign in the flesh of a spiritual need to have our hearts circumcised by Christ. Jesus says, often misunderstood verse, but he says, what are you supposed to do with your hand if it causes you to sin? We should really say circumcise it, cut it off. What about your eye? If it's causing you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off. Let me ask you something. Has your hand ever caused you to sin? No. You have sinned with your hand and you have sinned with your eye, but sin is always rooted in your heart. It's your heart that's causing you to reach out for the second helping or it's your heart that's causing you to look at something that you know you shouldn't. And so... We have a, even there, Christ is saying, yeah, cut off your hand, cut off your eyes. And we say, should I literally do that? He's saying, trace it back. What's causing you to sin, Christian? It's your affections. It's your heart. You need God to do something inside of you, something that you cannot do. And so we would say it when we hear the Lord, your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring and cause you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We say, look, you're telling me I've got to have a circumcised heart to be right before God? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. Jesus said it this way. You must be born again. To which Nicodemus, Jewish rabbi, says, how can I do that? Jesus' point is, exactly, you can't. So come to me. Look to the Son of God who was lifted up on the cross. Look at Him. Believe in Him and be saved. Read you a couple of New Testament uh, verses here. Uh, Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord. It's so sweet and good. Rejoice. You know the next verse? Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for those evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Listen to this. He's talking to a group of, of Gentile Christians in Philippi. And he says, for we are the circumcision. But I'm a Gentile. We are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in our flesh. What is your hope before a... A holy God, I've been circumcised. 
Not going to help you. You're putting confidence in the flesh. Do we still do this? Do we still circumcise? This practice is no longer required for the covenant people of God. Okay? We understand that Christ, who fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf, was the last person ever who needed to be circumcised. Okay, briefly, I will not spend near the amount of time on these next two movements in the text, but they're really good, and I want to show you a couple of things. The, the section in promise. Look in verse 15. Uh, this is the first time that Sarai is mentioned in all of God's promises to Abraham. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. Now, if you have a textual note at the bottom of your Bible, it should tell you that Sarai and Sarah both mean the same thing. They mean princess. So again, I'm going to give you a minority interpretation. I'm not going to fight anybody for it. But any time in Hebrew you have the, the, the sound I at the end of a word. So Adon means Lord or Master. Anytime I say Adonai, it means my Lord or Master. And so Sarai would be not just princess, but my princess. But anytime at the end of a word you, you hear ah, hallelujah. Y'all praise Yahweh. It's a shortened form of Yahweh. And so I think what God is doing here, again, I'm not going to fight anybody for it, is that he's changing Sarah's name from my princess that Abraham would have spoken all the time. Sarai is my princess to Sarah, the Yahweh's princess. She's going to be in this long line of losers that brings Christ into the world. You will call her name Sarah. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her. And she shall become Goyim nations. Kings of people shall come from this 90-year-old barren woman. What does Abraham do? The father of our faith. He responds by saying, yes, Lord, make it so. No, what does he do? What does he do to this staggering promise. Look in verse 17. Abram fell on his face and laughed. He yitzaked and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, notice he uses her new name. I love that, how quickly he, he aligns. Even though he's disbelieving, shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. This, this word for laughter is, is going to become Isaac's name. Isaac means to laugh or he laughs, but it's not belly laughter, right? Like when you're with a good friend who cuts a good joke, it's not belly laughter. It's mocking laughter. It's putting someone down. Ishmael is going to be kicked out of the family because he yitzhaks Isaac. He's making fun of Isaac when he's being weaned. So there's, there's unbelief or incredulity with Abram. And it's, and it's not a hard-hearted disbelief. Think about this with me, Christian. It's not as though Abram doesn't believe that God will keep his word. He does, obviously. It's that God's word is too stinking good to be true. And he's having a hard time wrapping his little pea brain mind around the fact that for, for 90 years with Sarai, he's been trying and they've had nothing uh, the, the, the three oldest Martin kids when they were little, they would always ask me about heaven and they would ask me things like, will there be ice cream in heaven or will there be any good thing? Will we have our pets in heaven or whatever? And my answer 
you can't just say no or, or I don't know. So the, the best I came up with is that or something better. Is there going to be ice cream? I don't really know. It'll be that or something infinitely better in heaven. Listen to me. The gospel is the exact same thing to us right now. Don't just think about what's going to be in heaven. That or something better. Whatever you, whatever you long for, whatever your heart is, uh, is desiring, I, I will say it this way, that or something better. But it's the same way with our life, with our prayer. Because watch what Abram does. In disbelief, he says, can this even happen? And so he prays to God and asks for something. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Do you see what he's doing? He's got a 13-year-old son, a son born in his old age, the the apple of his eye, the darling of his existence. And God is saying, I'm going to give you another son, and that kid is going to be raised up to rule nations. And Abram is like, well, can that even happen? God, take Ishmael. And God says, no. No. Have you ever had a prayer that you're... God, I really, really think you should do this thing. And God says, no. Do you know why? Same way here. It's because he will give you your prayer or he will give you something better. And that's not health and wealth. Sometimes it's something better is suffering that you don't want, but you need, right? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, no. There's, in Hebrew, there's a word indeed here because he's, he's coming back at Abram for his disbelief. Indeed, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. Every time you call his name, you'll remember that you disbelieved when you first heard my promise. Amazing. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. Listen to this. For his offspring after him, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. It's another play on words. Ishmael means God hears. As for God hears, God has heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. So I'm not turning my back on Esau or on um, Ishmael, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So do you see that idea of winnowing down? Remember back to winnowing everything down to Christ. You've got two sons. I'm going to bless them both, but one is going to matter in terms of covenant redemption. And it's going to be Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And verse 22, when God had finished talking with Abraham, he went up from Abraham. So the gospel is that in Christ, the answer to all of your prayers is always yes or no, because I've got something better for you, And so we can trust him. Does God grant Abraham's prayer for Ishmael to be the covenant line? No. Why? Because he has something better. Lastly, you see Abram immediately take a really hard obedience. You know, if I were to say, hey, you know, think about any sort of command that you might get in the, in the Christian church. Okay, we, we need to sacrificially uh, give of our time or sacrificially give our money or we need to you know, uh, say this in public or what, whatever it is, whatever the obedience is and, and that, that might be costly. Um, this man is taking razors to his body. They're not razors, but flint knives. 
And there's no waffling. There's no waiting. He just obeys. When God had finished talking with, with him, God went up from Abram. Then Abram took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money every male among the men of Abram's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God said to him. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you can, uh, if it takes a lot of imagination to see the type of loyalty that Abram commanded, that the men in this household would participate in this. Um, But they were that loyal to him that they did. When he was 99 years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old. By the way, that's the, that's the Muslim custom even to this day. Muslim boys get circumcised at 13. And he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with his money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Okay, so three things and I'm done about obedience. This means... That Isaac was born from a circumcised tree, so to speak. Okay? They've been in the promised land for 24, 25 years at this point in time. And God has promised Abram offspring. And it hasn't come, it hasn't come, it hasn't come, it hasn't come. And then when he's circumcised, here comes Isaac. Just like, so, so, so Isaac, the son of the promise, comes from a circumcised father. Just like Christ would be born to a fallen woman while being the son of the promise. So he's born under the law. Galatians tells us that Jesus was born under the law in order that he could redeem us from the curse of the law. So Isaac comes from circumcision, even though circumcision was not a part of the original promise. Secondly, notice, just notice this. We've, we've had, um, I've preached a couple of sermons on my, uh, my convictions on baptism and why the children of believers can and should be baptized as soon as they're born. Did you notice all of the emphasis is on to your offspring? Abraham, first generation, was circumcised at 99. Ishmael was 13. But every other person, second, third, fourth to a thousand generations, was supposed to be circumcised at eight days old because they, according to the promise to you and to your offspring after you, they were offspring. And so they were seen as part of the covenant family, okay? This is one of the key reasons why babies of Christian parents can and ought to be baptized because in Christ, all of these things find their completion. Okay, third and lastly, Jesus really is all that we need. So how terrified are you on a daily basis that you're coming up short, leaving too much undone and erring too much. How terrified are you all the time that something's not right, that you're leaving something undone? We kind of live that life most often. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is our obedience to the law, and he is all the obedience we will need. He's the obedience to the law that earns by merit the blessings of the law. He is the propitiation that satisfies the wrath of God toward our sin so that none of the curses of the law may come to us. None of the curses of the law may come to us. He is our circumcision, meaning he has kept the obligations of the covenant in his flesh on our behalf. He is our anchor within the veil of the heavenly tabernacle that anchors us into fellowship with God. He is our victor. 
He is our example. He is our lover. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our friend. He is the shepherd of our souls. This table is meant to remind and reclaim and reseal that reality. It's a reminder of what he has done for us. And through the Holy Spirit, it is an efficacious sign and seal and participation in all that Christ is for us. So listen to me. If your soul is lonely, if it is livid, if it is loving, or if you feel like it's on the brink of being lost, you come to the table. Come to the table. Come to the table believing in Christ and receiving everything that he would give you. Come, bend your proud knee. Don't offer to God some better plan like Abraham did. God, that sounds too good to be true. Why don't we do it this way? Don't do it. Because he will tell you no. And then he will command you to come. So come, welcome to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of our church to celebrate communion with us. You just have to be believing in Christ alone for your salvation. And so if that's you, we would invite you to come um, after we sing a song. So let's, um, let's pray. Father God, we ask you now as we respond to your word uh, by coming to the table. God, these are, these are reminders that every soul needs. That what you require, we can't perform. But what you've given, we can receive. So enable us, Lord, to receive it. Circumcise our hearts. Cause us, Lord, if need be, to be born again. Fill us with your spirit as we come to the table, believing, really believing that Christ, in his life and in his death and his resurrection and ascension, in his person and in his work, that Christ is all we need. Convince every soul of that, Lord, this morning. Convince mine. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.